Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now here's our Associate Pastor of Missions and Evangelism, Lawrence Duhon. Well, for the last ten and a half years, I've been commissioned by this church to be your associate pastor of missions and evangelism. And as we, we try to do everything in this church biblically, we must pattern what we do after something in the scriptures. And believe it or not, the, the scriptures talk a lot about sharing the gospel, about missions, but it doesn't give a whole lot of practical nuts and bolts of it, except in the case of one church, and that's the church of Antioch. And today I'd like for us to look together at this church we first hear about in the 11th chapter of Acts to pattern our church after so we can become like they were, a church that changes the world. You know, in a minute we're going to read that passage in Acts together, at least part of it. But um, let me set up a little background for that. Before Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection, he met with his disciples and gave them what we know today is called the Great Commission. There's five different Great Commission passages, but the last one we read is in Acts chapter 1. And uh, verse 8 it is, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this one passage is unique because it gives a promise. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But it also gives a command, you'll be my witnesses, and a geographic strategy. And that's something that that we have taken personally in this church to try to uh, identify what those regions would be for our church. For example, our Jerusalem is our community within about a 15-minute drive of our church. Our Judea is kind of the region, the DFW area. Our Samaria is the rest of Texas and North America, and then the ends of the earth beyond that. So we've taken that literally here at our church. But we must see how this, this progressed in the New Testament. You know, when the disciples got the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, when he came down and filled them, they began sharing the gospel right there where they were in the city of Jerusalem. The days and months following that, and basically it looks like they were kind of staying there for the most part. And then something happened in the seventh chapter of Acts when uh, Stephen, one of the seven, one of the first deacons, was, uh, was martyred for his faith. And after that it says in verse chapter 8 of Acts, a persecution broke out. And many of them, except the apostles, were scattered in Judea and Samaria. And so this kind of forced them out of their, their cluster of, of believers to help them fulfill the second part and the third part of the Acts 1-8 command. And then they kind of stayed and shared Christ only with the Jewish people uh, during those times. They didn't break out to the Gentiles just yet. It wasn't until Peter got the vision in uh, Acts chapter 10 and was sent to Cornelius that the first Gentile believers 
came to Christ. But then there were some others that went, went out beyond the Judea and Samaria region to the nation of Syria and the city of Antioch. And in that place, they did something for the first time that, um, that had a great impact on world history. And that is, they began to share the gospel with those who were not Jewish people. Let's read together Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26, and begin looking at this church of Antioch that changes the world. So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with the resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable, num considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So here we see that it's, here's the church that's being planted. And although it's mentioned in the New Testament relatively few times, this church had a world-changing impact. We as a church can learn much from this church at Antioch as we look at how they did things and how God used them. And as we seek to be a church that changes the world. In fact, I just want to point out that we're all here in this room today indirectly as a result of this church of Antioch. Because if they hadn't spread the gospel with the Gentiles, none of us would be here today. So let's look first about this church that they, they saw the harvest fields in a different way. And when all the, the disciples of Christ were going out and, and sharing, they had kind of a tunnel vision. They thought, this message is for the Jewish people, just like we are. That's who we need to share with. But these guys that we saw in, in these verses that went out, it says in verse um, 20, that they began speaking to Greeks also, or non-Jewish people. And that was a paradigm shift for them that was monumental. And for us, as we look around us, we, we kind of see, and in fact, if you look around the church here today, you'll see people that are fairly similar to you for the most part. And uh, it, as a church, we, we can learn from this by seeing the harvest fields in a different way. I don't know if any of y'all went out shopping this week, probably a few of you might have, but. Uh, you might have seen people at the grocery store or at the, uh, the mall or another store that, that aren't like you. In fact, our community is becoming more and more 
diverse, people coming from all around the world. You may not know this, but in the United States, the zip code with the most ethnic diversity is found in Irving, Texas. Did you know that? That there's people from all around the world right here. In fact, there's people in our own community from the Keller ISD, there's dozens of languages being spoken. And as a church, we've been placed here and given the strategic opportunity to see the kind of mission fields, to see the people as, as a harvest field for the gospel and get the gospel to them in various ways. And we're happily able to do that through some of our, our ministries here. Our international friends class on Thursday morning has people from eight or ten different countries in it uh, every week coming to learn English and, and getting a chance to hear the gospel and, and interact with, with loving believers who are sharing with them. I'm grateful for those of you who are serving in that ministry, but also in our, our refugee ministry and outreach around the community. There's people coming from all over the world and getting a chance to hear the gospel, even people who are Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, coming to Christ here in our community because of the ministries of this church. And we're grateful to be a part of that, be a part of changing the world, as well as planting churches here in our own region and around the country in places where the gospel is not widely known, such as Utah and Eastern Oregon, uh, where there's just not a church on every corner. So we can, we can learn from this church of Antioch as we see the harvest fields. But also we can learn from them because we find in a couple of chapters later in chapter 13 how they began to send out the workers into the harvest field. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9 to pray for the Lord of the harvest, to send the workers out into the harvest field because the harvest was plentiful, yet the workers were few. So I believe that um, in chapter 13 of Acts, we see this church taking this prayer to heart. They were praying, and God told them to send some people out. Let's read that verse in verse 13, chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. Now think about this. They were praying probably as Jesus taught them to pray. There's so many people around, all around us that need to hear the gospel. What should we do? And then the Holy Spirit prompted them something that, that they didn't have any experience with. Send these guys out to tell them about me. Now, think about who they sent out. Think about Barnabas, one of the earliest Christian leaders one of the, the pillars of the church. Think about Saul, one who God had miraculously saved 
and he, who had already grown, and as we know from the, the hindsight, was one of the most brilliant minds of communicating God's truth and a Christian leader. These were the guys that the church was supposed to send out. Think about it, if, if we had to pick from our church, that you would say, pick out Keith Sanders and Jack Gatewood to go out. You know, I mean, that would be kind of a challenge because you say, well, wait a minute. These are our best guys. We don't, we want to keep them here. But, but Antioch said, okay, we'll do it. And God used them in a dramatic way. And so it's amazing to think how God sent them out from in the first place in direct command. And it kind of got the church into a new, a new paradigm of missions that they had never done before. In fact, they were the, the first ones that we know of sent out officially by a church, not as a result of persecution, but just sent out to go take the gospel somewhere else. So this began their world-changing ministry. And they, they began to fulfill the last geographical mandate in Acts 1-8 to go to the ends of the earth. Now for them, it wasn't more than a couple hundred miles away, three or four hundred miles away and, and beyond when they started, but it still was a major step. And then they, the gospel rippled out through them to all the rest of the world. They sent out these guys as long-term missionaries. And in fact, over the last, say, 10 to 15 years, um, our church has sent out at least 14 people who've served a year or longer on, uh, on missions that, um, that I know of. There's probably others, but um, at least 14 that I can think of, some that have already completed their terms and come home, some that are still in the process of about to go out. But this is a, something that, that I'm pleased to be a part of a church that wants to, to do this, to send out people that have come through here and, and learned and gotten raised up because God is, is using those people in our church and through our church to touch people around the world. Some of them are with our international mission board. Some of them are serving with other organizations. But um, it's amazing to think of the impact that these people who have come directly out of our church are having, even as Paul and Barnabas went out from the church of Antioch. But not only that, we're not only sending uh, long-term workers, we've also sent out three church planting teams to Utah, to Oregon, ten, nine years ago, and to Utah in about 2011 and about 2014 to the city of Euless to start Foundation Baptist Church. So we're trying to follow the example of these guys by sending out long-term workers. But not only that, it's not mentioned in the scripture exactly, but um, about 50 years ago, 50, 60 years ago, sometime after World War II, this uh, phenomenon of sending out short-term missionaries, volunteer missionaries, began to take flight in uh, the nation of Japan was one of the, the first fields where volunteers were used widely. And since then, it's become a, a major part of our mission force because 
of the ease of travel that hasn't been that way uh, until recently. But um, our church is, is also vitally a part of sending out people, such as those who just came back from Mexico and Indonesia a week or so ago on short-term missions. But I'd like for you to know a little about a commitment that our church made 10 years ago in this regard. Nearly 10 years ago, we decided as a church to take the gospel to the Alunka people of Mali, West Africa. And during one of our first trips there, in fact, it was our fourth trip there back in 2008, a man in the village of Ferabato named Demba Keita stood up and told our team, who was actually just passing through to another village, we need you to come bring the gospel to our village. We know we're in darkness, and we know you have the light. Now, this is a, an animistic Muslim people that they're telling us to come share the gospel with them. We couldn't, we couldn't resist, and a couple of months later, that, that man, Demba, came to Christ along with many in his village and, and many others in that tribe since then. But I'm bringing this up because um, this man, Demba Keita, for the last nine years has been a follower of Christ. And just a couple of weeks ago, he passed away into eternity. But uh, we, we are grateful to know that he and, and many of his family after him and others that he has influenced over these years, he's been a, a strong witness for Christ throughout the time and going to other villages and telling about Jesus. Uh, it's sad to know that, that he's no longer on the earth, but it's good for us to know that our church had a part in leading him to Christ and, uh, and his impact, and that one day we'll be able to see him again in eternity. And since uh, we began this ministry in, in Mali, over 25 teams have gone out to share the gospel and, and train new believers, and I'm not going to lie, this work has been challenging, both physically and spiritually, but many people have given their lives to Christ through our church's witness in at least six different villages, and now there are groups of believers meeting together around God's Word in several of those villages. In fact, just last year, um, one of the, the groups decided that they needed a place to meet in because the rainy season was coming up. So they just built, built a church without any kind of prompting from anybody. They said, we need some place, so we're just going to build one. And that's, that was the first uh, church building that we knew of among the Alunka people um, in Mali. But to think about this in, in the context of the church of Antioch, our church just like the Church of Antioch did, has been a part of changing the spiritual history of that people group. Think about that. They can look back and say, many, many years ago we were worshiping the spirits and animism, and then a certain date, the 1400s or whenever it was, some people brought Islam to our tribe, and then in 2007, these people from First Baptist Keller came and they brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to us. And now many in our uh, tribe are coming to faith in Christ and following Jesus because of the obedience of our church. It's great to be a part of that. And within the next three months, we plan to go to the still unreached Yalunka people who are across the border in northern Guinea, another country there in West Africa, 
as we extend the spread of the gospel in that region. And it's not only Mali, but our short-term teams work with partners on the field in strategic relationships. And some in, some in recent years, we've been to Guatemala, Spain, Mali, Kenya, Romania, Albania and Macedonia, Mexico, Nepal, India, China, and Indonesia, just in the last three or four years. And then in North America, we've also sent teams to Colorado, Oregon, Utah, Montreal, Canada, and among the Athabascan Indians in interior Alaska. And this is just the ways that our church is trying to be a part of something greater than ourselves to be a church that changes the world. But not only do we send out workers, but we have to support those on the front line as the churches did. Now, in the New Testament, we see kind of a little bit of this, kind of snippets of it here and there of, of how these missionaries were supported. We don't see anything specifically from the church at Antioch, but there's a couple of other passages that uh, we see in, in terms of financial support that we'll look at in a minute. But I also want to talk about the, the kind of support these missionaries on the front line need, both back in New Testament times and today, which is the need for prayer and encouragement. That's a great part of the support that a church family can give. In, First in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith. And here's one that's, that's been meaningful to me as a former missionary in Albania. Uh, during the time I was serving there, I could attest to this many times, how uh, God sustained me through the prayers of God's people. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 8 through 11. He says there, For we do not want you or to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. You also joining in helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Now here we see a situation, we don't know exactly what happened, but Paul felt like he was at the end of his rope, that life was over. He said, we despaired even of life, but God sustained us so that we wouldn't rely on ourselves but on him. But then he says, your prayers are what sustained us, that you helped get us through that critical, critical time in our lives and our ministry. Because it's, it's such a, a comfort being on the mission field to know that people back home are praying for you when times especially get hard and you don't know, have anywhere else to turn. You know that God must do it. 
go forward a few chapters to chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, and you can see where he says, for though we walk, in verse 3, in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now the prayers that we, we pray here in this church for our missionaries are unique in that they're not geographically bound. You can pray right here in Keller, Texas, and your prayer immediately has an impact in China, for one of our people there, or, or in India, or in Africa, or wherever. God's, that's something special about prayer, that God can use you right here to pray and impact the work around the world. And that's one thing that our church wants to emulate when it comes to these uh, New Testament models that we have, that we offer continual prayer and support for those on the front line. Every Wednesday night, if you come here, you get a prayer guide. And on that prayer guide, there's a number, it's a small print, two or three columns of, of people that are con connected with our church that we're praying for. And I encourage you to get one of those and to lift these people up daily because that is uh, what they need uh, every moment of every day. We also have a what's called Barnabas ministry here. And that is something with uh, uh, Buddy and Martha Brown have started and others have joined them of sending out notes of encouragement to missionaries and people serving in harder fields around the world. And I've been visiting these people on the field and know that firsthand they've told me, I can't, can't tell you how thankful we are for these notes from your Barnabas ministry at First Baptist Keller. They don't know anyone here, some of them, but we're sending out notes and it get, comes at just the right time to where the encouragement is exactly what they needed. And that is something our church can, can be a part of because um, another church that Paul was working with, uh, the church in Philippi, when he was writing to them, he, he said, I thank my God in Philippians 1.3, in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And in verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So these, this church in Philippi was part of Paul's work because they were connecting with him in prayer and encouragement. And we're going to see also in a moment about how they connected with him financially. So we also have a mission house here in this church. I don't know if you know that, but uh, missionaries come home and, and we're able to bless them and, and serve them while they're here. And that's the kind of encouragement that the church of Antioch gave to Paul and, and Barnabas. Uh, look back in chapter 14 of Acts, verses 26 through 28. It says, And from there they sailed at the end of their first missionary journey to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them 
and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. This was a time where Paul and Barnabas got back to recharge their spiritual batteries, to refresh themselves with the family of God where they're not constantly in battle with, uh, with non-believers in persecution. As Paul had been nearly stoned to death earlier in that same chapter, and everywhere they'd gone, they'd faced opposition. But to come home to get that encouragement was exactly what they needed for a time before they went out again. And our missionaries need the same from us. But also, we find in the New Testament how the church supported the missionaries financially. In fact, uh, this church at Philippi that I just mentioned, in Philippians chapter 4, we read how they gave a gift to Paul. Now, a lot of times we read in the New Testament where Paul was actually working uh, with his hands to, uh, to support himself as a tent maker, but at times there was a contributions given by the saints that, that helped him in their travel expenses or, or their daily expenses. And this is what we find in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, you might have not have noticed this in the context of supporting missions before, but uh, that's exactly what this church was doing. And that's exactly what our church needs to, to do as well. You know, while there is very little in the New Testament about how missionaries were supported, it's clear that, that this church sent a monetary gift to help with Paul's ministry and enable him to continue the full-time work. We also see this in a, another similar passage in the book of 3 John, chapter six, verse 6, I think, through 8. I'm not going to read that, but it's a similar thing where the people were sending out gifts to help with the ministry and missions. Now, our church uh, has done this in several ways. Now, we have uh, given a, an increasing percentage of our budget to our cooperative program through the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, and uh, that goes to support both our North American and international missionaries, our Southern Baptist seminaries, and the church planning and, and ministry work of our state convention. 
But uh, we have a year-round mission offering that we started back in 2007 that uh, we have seen over the, these last 10 years a trend in, in increasing the way that we're able to support missions. And over, like especially the last year or so, it's been a critical time of, of financial need for our missionaries. And our church has been uh, stepping up to the plate to be a part of uh, supporting them in ways that we need to be. In fact, we were um, number 74 out of uh, 45,000 churches in giving to our Lottie Moon Christmas offering last year. And uh, <clears throat> we're grateful to be able to do that. And last, uh, this year, we were recognized as the top giving church in the Terran Baptist Association to our North American Mission Board, our Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And we're glad to do that because every dollar means the gospel is getting out, that churches are planted, and that people are impacted and their lives change. We want to be a part of a church that changes the world, and I think that's what we're, we're doing. Last year, our church gave enough money to build 70 houses for families in Nepal who had lost their homes in a landslide, and I was personally there to help build part of those and see the impact of that. And um, this year, through our Great Commission offering, we've helped build churches in two villages in Nepal where there were previously no believers, and just a couple, few weeks ago, we were able to dedicate one of those and, and see the people worshiping in that village for the very first time through the gifts of this church. But these needs are endless, and I challenge each one of us to give generously to our, our missions offering. Right on your offering envelope, there's a missions line. You can do that, and we can continue to meet the, the needs and the challenges that come before us as God opens up more and more doors of ministry for our church. The fourth thing we see from this church that changes the world is that they stand for the truth. Now you might see, well, where is that in the book of Acts? Well, in, in chapter 15 of Acts, there's a dispute that comes up over the gospel, over what it means and how do you get saved. And uh, this church at Antioch was a part of standing up for the truth of the gospel and um, sending Paul and Barnabas and a team of people to Jerusalem to try to sort this whole thing out with the apostles. And that became known as the Council of Jerusalem. And as a result of that, they determined that there was no need to fulfill the Jewish law, that people are saved by grace through faith. And they went on from there and the gospel began to spread without hindrance as a result of this church of Antioch standing for the truth. And throughout the scripture, especially toward the end of his ministry, Paul was challenging the churches that he started to stand for sound doctrine and for the truth of the gospel. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, one of his, probably the last chapter of the last book that Paul wrote before he died. He says, Verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. 
For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So here we see Paul challenging Timothy, who is, we know was in Ephesus at that time, to share and preach the truth of God's word. Don't let the doctrine be distorted or diluted. And that's what our church does when we go out anywhere in the world. We stand for the truth of God's word. We present it with clarity. We present it without any kind of sugar coating. If we're talking to a Hindu person and they worship thousands of gods, we tell them there's only one way to heaven. If we talk to a Muslim and are talking about a God named Allah, we tell them that there's salvation in no one else but the name of Jesus Christ. And this is the, the core of, of what a church that changes the world is all about. It's standing on the truth of God's word because that's all we have. That's all we can, can share that has any significance. And we must continue to do that. And then we see that this church that changes the world must shape the next generation. If you go back to chapter 11 of Acts, you see several times where it says that Paul and Barnabas was teaching and they spent a lot of time there training and, and basically discipling the people. And then in verse 26, we see that the disciples were first called Christians in the city of Antioch. That means that they were so identified with Christ that people were using that as kind of a term of derision at that time, but it means little Christ. They're, they're acting just like Jesus. And that's what uh, they became known as because the, the leaders there were shaping the future generation, the next generation. And, and as a result of that, people from there moved on to plant other churches as well and became, uh, like I said earlier, a ripple effect of sharing the gospel around the world. In um, 2 Timothy, back there in chapter 2, Paul says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is the, the pattern of becoming a spiritual parent taking the gospel, bring, raising someone up to maturity and helping them become a spiritual parent as well and making disciples and multiplying one another. That's what our church seeks to do as we obey this. We're training and teaching our own children, our own students through our RNG 8th program, through our student ministry to learn about and do missions every week. And then... More and more of our mission trips are people training leaders and pastors around the world. These people that have no opportunities for, for training. Go, they can't go to seminary. There's no seminary around them. But God is using people to, to train them in the sound doctrine that we, we profess and we believe. Finally, we see today that we must surrender fully to Christ and the church that changes the world surrenders fully to Christ. 
you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, there's an interesting verse in there in, in verse 5. It's talking about the churches in Macedonia who were severely afflicted. But it says they didn't do what they expected. They were asking and begging us to give to these, these needs. In fact, it says in verse 5, they did not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. If we can do that, if we as a church can give ourselves fully to the Lord, then our time follows, our energy, our efforts, our experience, our money, all follow because we've given ourselves fully to the Lord. And that's what it will take if we as a church want to continue to be a church that changes the world. We must each surrender fully to Christ to put our lives as a blank check on the altar to say, wherever you lead, I will go. If that means for me in my retirement taking a mission trip or going to live overseas or going to live in another part of the country to help build up a church or that kind of thing, I'll do it. If that means letting my kid or grandkid go to uh, be a missionary, I'll do it. If that means anything, I'll do it. That's what Christ wants us to do, to be fully surrendered to him without reservations or distractions if we're to be a church that impacts the world. So as we close, let's look back to say the church in Antioch serves as a model for our church and for any church that is seeking to have a lasting worldwide impact. And as our church seeks to fulfill the Acts 1-8 strategy, God is using us to impact people in our own area, our nation, and around the world. And to be very practical, in the next couple of weeks in each of our adult Sunday school classes, we're going to have speakers coming in there either next Sunday or the 11th of December to give some more details about how you can be involved practically. Just be looking for that in the, the next couple of weeks and, and you'll be having some more opportunities to respond personally to this. But let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for giving us this model to follow this church at Antioch that broke down barriers, that sent out the first mission team, that held strong to the gospel, that, that trained the new generation, Lord, surrendered fully to you. We pray that we would be like them, that we would be that church, and that you would continue to use us, continue to pour out your spirit through the people that go out from us, pour out your resources so that we can do your work. And we thank you so much for, for letting us be your ambassadors, to be your representatives here on this earth, making your appeal through us to be reconciled to God. We pray that we would faithfully do that as a church and surrender fully to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.